Amen. Thank you, Dustin. It's an honor to be back here this evening. Uh, thank you, the church, for allowing me the opportunity. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Uh, love the Lord. I uh, love to serve the Lord. Love his word. Uh, this Bible's gotten me through so much over the years, and I have such a desire for it, uh, such a privilege to preach it, uh, and just love uh, what I get to do for the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Kings, if you will. First Kings. First Kings chapter number 18. First Kings chapter number 18. We're going to start reading there in verse number 17. Y'all a good looking crowd, amen. This is something. I want to apologize to y'all on the balcony. I'm not used to a balcony. So if y'all see me looking down, just don't think anything about it, all right? We'll get there, amen. First Kings chapter number 17, chapter number 18, verse number 17. The Bible says this. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the grove four hundred which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on the Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if, then, if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the, prophet, unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Let us pray. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. God, I thank you for this place. And God, what it's mean to me over the years, Father. I thank you, God, for the good pastor, Lord, that stands and fills this pulpit. Uh, God, week in and week out, Father, we pray for Pastor Malcolm, Lord, right now as he's uh, preaching in Tennessee. And God, that he's having a good meeting there. Father, but Lord, we pray for our visitors and Lord and the people here tonight, God, that's gathered in this place. God, that you would... Lord, just meet with us tonight, Father. God, I pray tonight that I would be an encouragement. Father, that this message would be uplifting, God. And Lord, that we would be ready to walk out of these doors, Father, ready to serve you. God, too many times, Lord, I feel like we let the world drag us down. Father, I pray tonight that we'll allow your word to lift us up. Father, I am unable, Lord, to do this. God, I pray tonight, Lord, you'll speak through me. God, but you would have spoken. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. 
I want to preach tonight on this topic, when the odds are stacked against you. When the odds are stacked against you. How many's ever felt outnumbered? Raise your hand. If you, man, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right here. Man, if you have a wife and kids, you are outnumbered. Amen. You're outnumbered. All right? I'll give you an example of that. Uh, I have uh, my beautiful wife, Lisa. She's with me tonight. I praise the Lord for her. We have two kids, Caitlin and Blake. Caitlin is six. Blake is four. Or five. Four. Four. Blake is four. And, and they wanted a dog. So about long Christmas time, I drove all the way to Cleveland and got this Cleveland, Alabama, and got this dog. This big, shaggy, just a mess of a dog. Got this dog, took it to the vet, had it fixed. We were going to have an inside dog, this big, shaggy dog. They wanted a dog, right? They wanted a dog. So we go get this dog, and I put it in my truck, and we drive it back, and it, they, when they took it to the vet before it, we had its procedure done, they didn't give it a bath. It's been in this pound. We want an inside dog. You can imagine the smell. So I fixed a place outside for my inside dog. Amen. I went. They said, you got to wait seven days. I waited seven days. And I said, all right, I'm going to try to give this dog a bath. I went in my bathroom, shut the bathroom door, threw that dog off in that tub, and there was hair everywhere. And the smell did not go away. So our inside dog again became an outside dog. Well, the search for an inside dog did not stop. Amen. I want a dog. I want a dog. I want a dog. So we, Lisa found this little a part Boston Terrier, part Beagle, and it is the cutest little terrorist you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Nothing is safe in my house. I've had to throw flip-flops away, shoes away, it's chewed up. If you leave it down where she can get it, she's going to chew it up. I love her. But there's times I just want to wring her neck. We had to have a dog, right? Wanted a dog. So we're driving. I pat, we, we, we're uh, children's pastors out at Moulton, so we got a pretty long drive home. Live in Eva. So it's about a 40, 45-minute drive home. And we're on Court Street heading back home from church Sunday. And I see this little figure bouncing up and down the road. You can see its little ears just flopping up, big furry, just, just this little dog. And it is my wife's dream dog, church. My, her dream dog. It's a Cocker Spaniel. Yeah. Everybody, all the ladies said, oh. So I heard the rest of the way home, can we go back and get that dog? I was outnumbered, right? I was outnumbered. And we see here in this, in this, in this text that Elijah is way outnumbered. He's way outnumbered. You look at this text on a physical aspect, and most of you know this. these verses. These have been preached. This is nothing new. But you take away what you know about this verse, and you just look at him and the number of people he's up against physically, and you would say that there is no hope for that man. He is outnumbered. He's done for. He's dead. I want to give you a little background about what's happening here. Ahab, if you'll go back in your Bible, when you get home, study over this, chapter 16, the end of chapter 16, Ahab takes over as king of Israel. And he marries this woman, her name, her name is Jezebel. 
And if you read your Bible, you'll find out that Ahab and Jezebel were the most wicked rulers of all has ever been in Israel. When Ahab married Jezebel, he made a shrine, if you will. These 400 prophets of the groves, that's that shrine. They made this grove of trees to worship these gods. This is what the... This is what the Canaanites did. These Canaanites established these gods. Baal is just simply idolatry, but it's in many different aspects. I find it interesting here that Baal, if you look it up, they worship Baal for prosperity. They worship Baal for fertility. They worship Baal for the rain. And they worship Baal for their farms. And they wanted Baal to prosper them and grow them. They were worshiping Baal because of what they thought he could do. And so when, when, when Ahab and Jezebel turned Israel against worshiping God, from worshiping God to worshiping this Baal worship, this idolatry worship, when they turned them from God to false worship, it made Elijah very angry. And Elijah, Elijah stood before Ahab in chapter number 17 and verse number 1. And he tells Ahab, It will not rain, it will not do until I say. You see in chapter number 17, verse number 1, that Elijah starts calling the shots. And we're going to see him do more of that as we get in this text. We're going to see him do a lot more of that actually. He's calling the shots. I I want to point out to you that it bothered Elijah so bad to see God's people to see the Israelites turn from God worshiping God to turn to worshiping some false prophet. It bothered him so bad that he was willing to put his own self through a famine in order for them to return back to God. He was willing to sacrifice his own life if God's people would turn back and worship God again. Because what happens when it doesn't rain? Crops don't grow, right? What happens when crops don't grow? You starve to death. What else happens when it doesn't rain? The rivers dry up. We'll find that here in just a minute. Matter of fact, God in chapter number 17, God commanded Elijah to get to the brook Cherith. And He said, when you get to the brook, you'll drink water from the brook. And He said, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. That sounds like the life, amen? I could handle that life, All right. Give me a cane pole and a bobber. We are good. Somebody say amen. We're good. So he goes and he does what God says and he's up by this brook and he's drinking water and the ravens are feeding him. But then the brook dries up. And the raven stops coming. Why? It's dead. There's nothing to eat. Three years. It hadn't rained. Three years. God tells him, all right, Elijah, get up and go to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, he found this widow woman. And he asked this widow woman, will you please make me a small cake? And I could preach right here for the rest of the night, but we don't have time. Somebody say amen. She goes, she goes, and she says, sir, I, I don't have enough meal to make you a small cake. What I have, me and my son's about to fix and when, once we eat it, we're going to die. Because this is all they, 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 they have used up all their sources of food. The famine has taken its toll. Right? But Elijah says, fix me a small cake first. 
I like what she does, amen? She doesn't hesitate. She goes to the kitchen and she starts whipping him up a cake. Probably the best cake that man had ever eaten. Somebody say amen. She starts fixing him up this cake and she brings it to him and he eats it up. But here's what I like about that part of the story. Every time she went back to that barrel, God provided. Every time she dipped her bowl in that barrel, there was meal for her and her son for the duration of that famine. Why I found this very valuable to, to this story right here. Why was that? Because she was obedient to God's will. She had no clue. No clue that God would fill that barrel time and time again, but she was willing to say if it would help the man of God, I'll sacrifice it. I'll sacrifice it. We see later that her son actually passes away. We find in that story, in that part of the story, that Elijah takes her son and, and goes into the special place and does these special things, lays on top of him, and I can only imagine praise over him. And raises her son from the dead. What is God doing for Elijah there? God's priming him. God, you know what Zarephath means? Zarephath means a place of refinement. God's priming him up. Saying, Elijah, this is only the beginning of what you're about to face. This is only this much of my power is what you're about to see. Amen. And then we find here in chapter number 18, the first part of this chapter we find that God tells Elijah, it's time. It's time. Now it's time to go before Ahab. Now it's time to, to go to where Ahab is. So he goes. Elijah takes off. I can only imagine he's so ready. He looks like one of them old war horses. You know what them war horses used to do? When they were ready for battle, they... I can't do it on a stage. It's sticky, amen? They'd stomp that foot. They were ready to go. They couldn't wait. I had some friends we used to ride some horses with her dad. Mom, dad's here. Randy, Joanne, good to see you tonight. Them horses, when, when they, they'd get giddy. When we'd get on them, boy, they'd get... I had one, he was so crazy. Man, he would, he'd jump a barbed wire, a grasshopper got in his face. He'd, he'd run square the other way. Because he, so, he was so ready. He was so hyper. I can only imagine that's what Ahab, or Elijah was like when it was time to go meet Ahab. So we find in, in the first part of chapter 18 that we're going to get into our text tonight that Elijah is, is going to Ahab and he runs into his friend Obadiah. Obadiah is very important in this story because Obadiah actually fears God. Obadiah actually, actually is, is, is such a, such a, in such fear of God and reverence to God that when Jezebel commanded that all the prophets be killed, he took and hid a hundred prophets. The Bible says by 50 in a cave and gave them bread and water for the duration of this family, for this famine. He feared God, but he also feared Ahab. Elijah finds Obadiah, and once Obadiah realizes it's Elijah, the Bible says that he falls on him. And Elijah tells Obadiah, go and tell Ahab that I'm here. Obadiah is so scared at this point, He's saying, ain't no way. I ain't doing that. You're crazy. You know what he's done? They've killed all the prophets. I, I've put up a hundred of them because they were going to kill all of them. They've been looking for you. 
I cannot tell you, I guarantee you, they didn't leave stone unturned, house unsearched, cave unsearched. They looked everywhere for Elijah. The Bible says that when search parties got back, they actually had to swear by it that they didn't find him. They were looking for him so hard. Why were they looking for Elijah so bad? He was putting Ahab in his place. He was trying to get him back to worshiping God. He was trying to get him back to a place of true worship. He was so bothered that Ahab had done this to Israel. So angered by it. So driven by it that he would have done anything. He didn't care. He put his own self through a famine for God's people. That says a lot about the man. Amen? So we find that here he runs into Obadiah. He tells Obadiah, go and tell Ahab I'm here. And Obadiah actually says these words. I'm not going to tell him that. Because, and Obadiah actually says that when I go tell him that, the, this is how much Obadiah believed God. The Spirit's going to take you out of here because He's protecting you. And I'm going to be stuck here with Ahab. And Ahab's going to go, where's Elijah? And when I tell him, I don't know. Guess what Obadiah said he was going to do? He would kill him. He would kill him. But Elijah comforted Obadiah and said, don't dare worry about it. I'll be right here when you bring Ahab back. I, I, you, know, you know, when, I, when I'd have heard, if I'd have heard that, and I need an amen right here, if anybody in this audience would have heard that they had been killing his, God's prophets and God's people that stood for God, I just got, I just got to wonder, well, would he have really stood there and waited on this man to come? Would we have really stood there and waited on him, knowing that there's a possibility, Randy, that we're about to die? But here's what I find interesting about Elijah. It kind of reminds me of a story I've heard one time. I heard about this evangelist. Went to this country and he was meeting this king. Real wealthy king. Real powerful king. He was going to meet this king. And this king put him up in his, in his castle and fed him the best food, gave him the best room. This evangelist took the invitation and went, and boy, he was treated like high class. He was going to meet the king the next morning. The king's servant came and got the evangelist, and they were walking down the hall, and the king's servant said, Sir, are you at all nervous? The evangelist said, No, no, I'm not. And the servant kind of was just baffled by what he said. And he said, Sir, can I ask you why that you're not nervous? This is the king. This is the most powerful king in all the universe. This is, he is pagan. He could do that and have your life. And the evangelist said, When you spent all night before the king of kings, any mortal king it does not make me nervous. I need an amen right there. When you've spent all night praying to God the Creator and worshiping His holy name, when you spend all night doing that, there's not a mortal man nowhere that make you nervous. None. Elijah said, bring him. Bring him on. Bring, I, I, I'm ready. I want him here now. Bring him on. We find here, Elijah's ready. But we see that the odds are not in Elijah's favor. At any point, fear could overtake Elijah. At any point, 
At any point in time in this, fear could overcome Elijah, and Elijah could easily run. Because like I said, you, you, take, you take the rest of the story out, and you just look at the numbers, he's done for. He's got 450 prophets of Baal, he's got 400 prophets of groves, and here he is standing here like there ain't nothing wrong. How can that be? What does he have? What is driving him? What is motivating him? What is keeping him going? I want to show you three motivators. I want to show you three motivators tonight that's keeping Elijah going that I believe that the church today needs to get a hold of now more than ever if we're going to stay this course of truly worshiping God, if we're going to uphold this Bible and be biblically correct and stand on biblical principles, we need these three motives, church, because it is going away everywhere else. Everywhere else it's going away. You say, well, it ain't happening here. I beg to differ. I've never seen our morals be tested and trampled ever like they're being tested and trampled on today. We, we, look here, that, that, there's people that don't even, they don't even want to reference God's Word. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me about my sin. Don't tell me there's anything wrong. Don't, I, look, I just want to get through life. That's the problem though. They're trying to get through life on their own when Jesus is the only way to get through life. What are these three motivators? Number one. I want you to notice tonight, his zeal, his zeal. Hope everybody has an outline. If you don't, I apologize. His zeal, his zeal. Zeal means passionate or eagerness, a desire to obtain some object. Zeal is a driving force behind everything we do. If you're not passionate about it, guess what? You're either not going to do it, or you won't do it to its full potential. Can I get an amen right there? Do we agree on that? For instance, I love the outdoors. I'm an outdoorsman. I love to hunt, and I love to fish. Amen. Love to fish. I, I'm so passionate about fishing. I, me and a friend of mine, we got tired of all this rain. Because it seemed like every moment we get off work, it's raining. Can I get a witness right there? Lord, have mercy at the rain. And I told him, I said, I'm just ready to go fishing. He said, well, let's go. I went and bought me a rain suit. A lot, of di- a lot of good that did me. Amen. When it's raining as hard as it was when we was fishing, that rain suit, I might as well just kept it at the academy. Amen. So we tried it. and They said, well, it's going to be about an 80% chance today, but it's just going to be drizzling. There won't be no heavy downpours. Whatever. We put in, and it's just kind of drizzling. We get out on the main channel, Tennessee River, and we're in this 14-foot flat-bottom boat with a 9.9 horse on the back of it. You can imagine. We're, I mean, just getting about, I don't know, 5 mile an hour, right? We're going 20 minutes down the lake. I don't know why in the world we did this. We get down there, and we pull in our first little slew we're fishing, and here it comes. You could hear it coming. I mean, it's it's bad. It's bad. Got soaking wet. We were only at our first slew. We were actually going to two. We get soaking wet there. Didn't catch a fish there and there. We go on down the river about another 10 minutes. I'm thinking, what in the world are we doing? We got we to love what we do or be just stupid. I don't know. 
My wife said, you're just stupid, amen? That's exactly what she said when I got home. So we, we, we're here, and we go to our next slough, and it's just kind of drizzling again. We pull, I ain't kidding, the minute we pull in that slough, here it come again. You hear it coming. It was just, I, I mean, just like God turned on the faucet and laughed the whole time he's doing it, amen? <laughs> laughed at me. I'm sitting there, and I'm casting, and I mean, we're, I'm just about to point ready to give up. I look over at my friend James, and he's doing this. Man, you ready to go? Yeah, <laughs> ready when you are. 9.9 horse motor back, 14 foot flat bottom back out, going into the wind, blowing. So I, can I get a witness right there? I was numb. He said, how cold are you? He said, I don't know, I can't feel nothing. Amen. <laughs> can I tell you, we didn't catch nothing. Why'd you go? I loved it. I loved it. Why would Elijah risk his life? Because he loved God. He had a zeal. His zeal. He had a he had a zeal for God's people. A zeal for God's people. I, I want to show you quickly in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul says this, he writes this to Timothy. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Does, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar today? But watch what verse 5 says. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. That's where Ahab was. That's where he had Israel headed. Look, they, they, he, Elijah says here in verse number 21, when the people came together together, how long halt ye between two opinions? You know what that word halt means? It means to skip over. In essence, what they were doing, well, they were actually lame. They were hobbling between serving God. They wanted the blessings of God. They wanted God to look down on them. But they, they liked the feeling and the emotion of worshiping this false God. Emotion does not drive your faith. Truth does. Truth does. I, I talked to a, a lot, of, lot of people. I had have, I have one lady really close to me. She came to our church when I was pastor in a small church in Somerville. And she brought her family, her, her kids, both of her kids. I got to see them saved. Man, God worked in their life. Her husband was struggling with alcohol. He quit. Started coming to church. They were getting, up under, they were getting under this Word. They, they were learning from God. They, they, they were getting truth. And they just quit coming. They stopped. And I got worried about them. I was concerned, right? Who wouldn't be? I had a zeal for them. I was passionate about them. I called them. What's up? Where, where, where you been? We like going here. We like how their worship feels. Oh. What? Why did that bother you? Because they're not in church today. They're not in church today. That bothers me, church. It bothers me. Because we, 
the, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth, not emotion. I'm not saying that, you, that, God, that God won't bring you down to an emotional state. I'm a crier. Somebody say amen. I, when, the, when the Holy Spirit moves and the Word is good, I mean, I've spent many times in these pews under Pastor Malcolm and tears just shedding down my face, getting all over me. But it was based off truth. Truth. It says having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There's many people filling pulpits today that have a form of godliness, but they're not preaching the whole truth. Amen. Church, that should bother us. That should, that should get us on our knees and say, God, bring these people to your truth of your word. Amen. God, help us. He had a zeal for God's people. It bothered him. Not only that, he had a zeal for God's worship. He had a zeal for God's worship. I want to show you in Exodus 20, and we've got to hurry. Exodus 20, verse 1 through 6. And God spake all these words, saying... Now, God's about to give Moses the Ten Commandments. He says this. This is the first one. I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Can I tell you, God is serious about His worship. God is serious about His worship. We were created to glorify God. We were created to worship God. And when we turn from doing that to worshiping everything else this world has to offer, He is not happy. And it should bother us. We should be bothered by this. But can I tell you, not only should this bother, this zeal that Elijah has, it should keep us going. It should keep us going for God. Though nobody may listen to what you have to say, let your zeal for the truth of God's Word keep you going. Because somebody along the way will want to hear it. Somebody along the way needs it. Amen. Elijah was passionate about God's people and God's worship. He was passionate about it. He was so willing to sacrifice his life and go before Ahab, not knowing what was about to happen. Man. You know, Jesus was passionate about the house of God. Jesus was passionate about the house of God. And that might be in your outline over in John. He goes in, he sees the money changers sitting there and they're selling doves in order for them to worship and they're making money off God's house. Jesus said, the Bible says that he took, made, a, made a, a scourge of cords and made a whip and drove them out and he said, my father's house will not be a house of merchandise. And his disciples said these very words. They remembered this, that it was written that the zeal hath eaten him up. It bothered him because he had passion for God's house. Passion for God's people. Passion for God's worship. Write this down too. We need to have passion for lost people. We need to have passion for lost people. we, We should look for opportunities to share the gospel. Don't let Satan talk you out of it. Don't say, don't just think because we live in Coleman, Alabama, that everybody in every street corner has heard the gospel. I was talking to a man the other day. I'm going to share this real quick and I'm going to move on. I was talking to a man the other day. 
man's 53 years old. 53 years old. And he said these words, I'm getting to heaven based on what I do for God. I said, I'm sad to say that that's not the case. And I began to share the gospel with him. And God began to, God began to work. I'm telling you, when God gets a hold of you and starts using you, you'll know it. Somebody say amen. amen. You'll st- things start coming out of your mouth. You didn't even know you knew most of the time. He'll bring back to remembrance the things he showed you. Begin to share the gospel with him. These were his words. It can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. My friend, he knew just enough about the Bible to be dangerous. He knew what Mama told him. Mama didn't tell him the whole truth. And I encouraged him, go read it for yourself. Go study it for yourself. He had a King James Bible. Go crack that thing open and see what God has to say. Don't take anybody's word for it. should bother us. Should, we should have zeal for lost people, compassion for lost people. But not only was this one of his motivations his zeal for God's people, I want you to see also his courage. His courage. Don't you see, A, his courage to stand. I want you to notice what Galatians 5.1 says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Notice the first word he said there. Stand. Stand. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness." Did you see anybody in the Bible standing with Elijah physically? Nobody. He was standing by himself. But can I tell you this? He wasn't standing by himself in his own power. Bless God, he had God right there with him, his hand on him, and Elijah was ready because God put his hand on him. God was ready to work through Elijah. God was ready to move in Elijah's life because Elijah was willing to stand. Not only was Elijah willing to stand, or he had the courage to stand, he also had the courage to contest. I want us to look at our Bible again in verse number 22. The Bible says, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. Call on, your, call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Verse number 25. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and Dress it first, for ye are many. Call the name of your gods, but put no fire under. Can I go ahead and tell you right here that even though Elijah is outnumbered, look who's calling the shots. Look who's orchestrating this thing. 
Look who brought up the contest. Look who said, let's just play a little game here, if you will. You take this bullet, and you go ahead and start dressing yours first for your many. And then he said, in verse number 26, and they took the bullet which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal. From morning, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us, but not not any that answered. They leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, He is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or preadventure, he sleepeth and, and must be awakened. You just continually see Elijah's courage over and over, because not only is he calling the shots, but he is here now poking fun. He's mocking them. 450 men, and one man is standing up saying, where is your God? Courage. Courage. If there's anything the church needs today, it's courage. When it ain't got bad yet, if you're scared now, just wait. <laughs> courage. Notice what Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God... He it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is it that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Moses is telling Joshua, y'all are about to go into one more battle. You're fixing to step off into the promised land, but it's going to take a fight to get it. It ain't over yet. But he told Joshua, but don't worry. God has got this. God is going before you. God has already made a way for you. God has prepared this thing. Just follow God. Just go with God. Church, can I go ahead and tell you that God had your life planned before you took your first breath? He's already been. Don't be afraid to go. He's already in your tomorrow. Don't be scared about tomorrow. Here's what you need to do about tomorrow. You need to pray today for tomorrow that God would, would, would show Himself evident and give you that strength and that courage to stand and share the gospel with somebody. Amen. What if they reject it? You've heard this time and time again. I know Pastor Malcolm said this over and over again. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Him that sent you. I witnessed to a man one time, and I had, I, I, brother, I had to work up the courage to do this. Took me, took me, I'm a, y'all can't tell it, I'm bashful. I am, I'm shy. It took me forever to get over that. When God called me to preach, I said, there ain't no way. And that's, un, that's really unusual, right? No, because most preachers are like that. Most preachers are like that. It took me a while to get to where I could talk to people and just carry on a conversation. And every now and then I still get scared. I was back there a while ago nervous as a house cat with my little dog in the house with it. Amen. Scared to death. And God said, God, God just gave, laid somebody on my heart that I work with. I want you to go witness to him. I can't do that. I don't, I don't know him that well. What if he, what if he cusses me? What if he, what, if, what if he spazzes out and hits me? Just go. 
right? I go back there and I, I, I start talking to him, just kind of strike up a conversation. And it was real simple. God already laid it out. And I just walked through the door. I shared the gospel with him. And this is the words that he said. He said, John, I appreciate your conviction. And I appreciate your stand for what you believe. He said, I just don't believe it. He said, but thank you anyway. What do you tell somebody like that? I said, brother, I'm just gonna, I said, man, I'm just going to pray for you. That's all I do. And I turned around and walked off. God showed me something that day. That even in fear, God is there. But even in His rejection, God was still there. That no matter what, God would always be there. We just have to have the courage to stand. John Wayne said this, and I love it, amen? I, I, I love this so much. We were in Gatlinburg one time, and I found a sign and hung it in my living room. Hung there for years, so my wife got tired of it. But John Wayne said this, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Man, courage to stand, the courage to contest, having courage. I want you to see what the prophets of Baal were doing. Verse number 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past that they prophesied until the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Can I show you quickly, just real quick, that the prophets of Baal thought so much of worshiping Baal they loved this worship of this false god so much that they were so, and they were so dedicated to it that they were willing to cut themselves and cut one another. And before it was all said and done, they were leaping upon the altar, wanting something to happen, wanting Baal to answer with fire, wanting fire to come down and consume this sacrifice. The Bible says. And they prophesied even until the evening. You know what that means? They wore themselves out. And nothing happened. You see, they had zeal for what they believed. It was just the wrong type of zeal. You see, they were. you can be dedicated, but you can also be dedicated to absolutely nothing that will profit you anything. Be dedicated to Jesus. Be dedicated to His Word. Be dedicated to His church. Somebody say Amen. Be dedicated. So Elijah calls and he says, Come here and he repaired this altar. Verse number 31, And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. You see what he's doing right there? He's trying to get the God's people, Israel, back to a remembrance of who they are. Of who God called them to be. Of where He called them from. He chose them. And Elijah's trying to get them to remember this. And he does this. He took the stones and he built an altar in verse 32 in the name of the Lord. Now watch. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. 
You know how big that is? Three feet wide. Three feet wide he dug this trench. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He said in verse 34, and do it a second time. They did it a second time. and He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. I want to, I want to, I want to point this out to you. How many years had it not rained? How many years did it not rain? How many barrels did he pour on this sacrifice? Three. You know what the number three stands for? The number three is the number of divinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three. It's the number of divinity. Three years it didn't rain. Why did it not rain for three years? Because they thought Baal was the God of rain. Elijah was proving a point that God Jehovah is the God of rain. He was proving a point. He took three barrels of water, drenched this sacrifice. Amen. And the water ran around about the altar and filled the trench also with water. I want to point out to you that not only was the odds already stacked against Elijah in that he was outnumbered, he just made it even worse. How many of you been outnumbered and asked for more? Huh? Who has ever stepped foot on a foot, foot on, stepped foot on a football field and told the rest of the team, y'all just go sit down, but I want everybody on that line right there? Nobody. Nobody. But Elijah said, I want more. Because what's a, what God's about to do here, it's going to be no argument that God is the only one that can do it. I want more. I want to prove to you that God's going to answer. I want to prove to you that there's only one God, God Jehovah in Israel. I want to prove to you. They do it. And they, there was this water fills this trench. And it came to pass at the time of the evening offering, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that I turned their heart back again. Now watch. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the, all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Man, what a story. I find number three that it was Elijah's trust. That kept him going. It was Eliza's trust. Not only was it his zeal, not only was it his courage, but it was his trust in God. It was his trust that God would hear him. It was his trust that God would hear him. I, I want to point to you in Psalms 3, verse 4. The Psalmist David writes, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Salah. I think y'all actually sang a song. The choir sings a song that has that 
that verse in that song. But he had trust that God would hear him. Why did he trust that God would hear him? Why did he trust that God would hear him? Because Elijah was doing the will of God. Elijah was the forefront of getting Israel turned back to worshiping God. Why wouldn't God hear him? And then not only that God would hear him, but that B, God would answer. Psalms chapter number 40 and verse number 1. I waited patiently on the Lord and He climbed unto me and heard my cry. Brought me up out also out of my horrible pit, out of my miry clay and set my feet upon a solid rock and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear but and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. And respect not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Blessed is the man that make the Lord his trust. Blessed is him that God would answer him. Elijah had no doubt that God would answer his prayer. No doubt. I, I come, I come a few, about, a, about uh, sometime last year, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. A lot of people say, ah, it's, you know, it's real. It's real. Depression's real. Anxiety's real. And I was dealing really bad with it. Took another journey in life, and God just kind of wanted me to finish some things. And, and I went ahead and did it, and I was away from my kids and, and Lisa. And, boy, it was, it was really getting to me. And, and I just feel like there was no way out of this. No way out of it. Kind of got in some situations and, and I remember making this statement. How is it that I can have so much faith that God would answer everybody else's prayers, but I have little faith that He would answer mine? How does that happen? I, I, I tell people, and I preach to people all the time, hang in there. You stay with God. You stay the course. Hey, it might get tough. It may get harder. You stick with it. God will come through. But when it came to me, it was almost like I didn't even believe it. And I remember feeling so lonely. Feeling so far separated from God. And I began to pray, God, help me. And I, remember, I remember praying what Peter said when he was sinking in the water. Lord, save me. Save me from this anxiety. Save me from this fear. I, Lord, I, and here's the thing about it. I knew he could hear me. And I knew he would answer as far as believing it goes. God brought me back to a place and just said, He just impressed in me and through this word, just rest in me. I got this. You see, too many times we want to try to solve our own problems. My friend, there's a many times my problems is way too big for me and me alone. I feel outnumbered most of the time. I feel like quitting about five, about every five minutes of every day. Anybody, I don't know if anybody's here ever pastored a church. Let me tell you, you don't make any rash decisions on Monday about leaving. You laugh, it's not, I'm, I'm being serious. You don't make any rash decisions on Monday about resigning. 
You, you, work, you work 40 hours a week and you take the rest of your spare time and you pour into God's Word and you prepare a sermon. You get up on that stage and you rear back and let them have it all they can handle. You give it to them just like God would have a give and you preach your heart out Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and nothing happens. No change takes place. My friend, you won't make a rash decision on Monday. You can ask any pastor. Most of them tell you, wait till about Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> you kind of calm down then, right? But God will answer us. Can I go ahead and tell you about God's answering though? It may not always be the answer you want. And Garth Brooks came out with a song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. There is no such thing. It's a yes or no. Amen. But He will answer. Trust Him. Trust Him. Elijah was willing to sacrifice his life. Elijah was willing to lay down his life because he trusted God. I want to give you just a quick illustration. My son, Blake, has no fear. He is crazy as crazy can be. Hey, I need a, I need a witness, Lisa. Amen. Crazy. I told his sister the other day, I said, you, I, I, I mean, this, this is how crazy my kids are. It, driving, driving down the road, they'll be doing this, right? And she'll start hissing. <laughs> yeah. And he'll start making, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when a raccoon and a coon dog get tangled up together in the back of my car. <laughs> Lord, what are y'all doing back there? I told her the other day, I said, you may be as strong as he, stronger than him for a little bit, but i tell you one thing, you won't never be as crazy as he is. <laughs> hey, man. I remember our first trip, we had some friends, got a swimming pool, and we went over there, and he used to wear the puddle jumper, and he couldn't handle that thing, so I just put some arm floaties on him. How many know what I'm talking about? Little round things. Hey, man. They're a lifesaver. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Lifesaver. They put them things on. He went to that diving board. And let me tell you something. Right off in the water he went. No fear. What was he trusting in? Two things. He's trusting in floaties, but also he's trusting that his daddy was going to be there. And let me tell you something. Time and time again, that boy jumped in that swimming pool. Why? His daddy was there. And let me tell you, I am out of shape and fat. Somebody say Amen. You tread water as long as that boy took to jump in that swim pool, you will get wore out. But his daddy was always there. And he didn't go near that diving board that his daddy wasn't around. He knew I would be there for him. My friend, you need to know that God is there for you. Amen. Trust Him. Trust Him. One real quick story, I'm going to wrap it up. Heard about this lady. Heard about this lady. She was, uh, kinda, she was living on a fixed income. She was a single lady. She had some health issues. And, and she, her medical, medical issues took a lot of her money away for the month, and she needed food. They lived in this kind of this, this little subdivision, houses real close together. She'd raise her windows to get fresh air. She'd be at her kitchen table praying, God, Lord, I, I, need, I, need, I need eggs, and I, I need milk. And she'd pray her grocery list to God. And there was an atheist who lived right next door. This dude didn't believe in God, not one mind you second. And he wanted to prove that there was no God to this lady. So it was one day, and she'd done this every day. God, I need this, I need this, I need this. It was one day, he went out beside her house with the window up, 
and he wrote down everything she mentioned on that grocery list. He wrote it down. Going to go to the grocery store and buy these groceries. I'm going to prove this old lady there ain't no such thing as God. Nowhere. He goes and he goes to the grocery store and he gets all this stuff and piles it up in this buggy. He's checking out. He's got it all bagged up. Big old possum grin on his face. He can't wait. He goes, sets all them groceries on her doorstep, rings the doorbell, runs, hides behind the bushes. She goes to the door and she starts digging. The whole time she's digging, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank I needed my herbs, my eggs. Thank you, God, for my eggs. Lord, there's my milk. Thank you for my milk. There's the stuff to make gravy. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Lord. That man, he's sitting back there snickering. <laughs> I'm about to get her. I'm about to get her. The whole time she's praying. He jumps out of the bushes on her driveway. Hey, I bought them groceries for you. I told you there's no such thing as God. She wrote back and said, God, thank you that even an atheist can provide for your people. <laughs> so church, when you feel outnumbered, when you feel like everything in life is coming against you, Satan lied to you. How many of you know I'm telling the truth tonight? Satan lied to you. Satan blow everything out of proportion. I had a light bulb one time. Y'all know them little squirrely light bulbs, them little funny looking things that came out a few years ago? I had that thing. I didn't know. I had no clue this would happen. That thing was going out in my house one day. I thought the devil told me my house is on fire. I was going up feeling the wall. Lord, don't let my house be on fire. He'll blow everything out of proportion. And he'll make you feel outnumbered. We need these three motivators. Zeal, God, courage of God, and trust in God to keep going. Because church, we ain't seen bad times yet. But they're coming. They're coming. Keep it with God. Stay the course. Have a passion for His people and His worship. Have courage to stand and contest whenever you need to. Don't ever be afraid. Most of all, always trust Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. God, for this night. Father, I thank You once again for this.